I want to tell you something you really, really need to know and you're prone to forgetting. Something that you have to keep in your head and if you don't, it gets dangerous for you. You are God's beloved. You're like, okay, so? There's these descriptions when you read in the New Testament, these letters written to churches on particular occasions, but they're the people of God, and the most important thing they've got to get across to these churches is you are loved by God. And so often when he says that, we rush through it like it's a mere formality, like dear so-and-so, and you get started and you kind of wade through it like, let's get to the meat of it. and let's get. But the letters are trying to get us to see ourselves as God sees us. So many times, read the letter to P- that Peter writes, First Peter, you are the children of God. You are the people of God. You are the chosen ones. You are the priests of the world. You are, you are, you are. They already are, but he's got to get it through their heads because if we forget, there's all sorts of problems that result from it. You are the beloved. Let me say this in one line, I think what is happening here. You won't do what you should do until you know who is you. Who are you? And when you realize that, you have no problem doing what God called you to, but you've got to get it through your head. And just knowing it's not enough, it needs to be reminded. So many descriptions of who you is right? Who is you? So many descriptions. You are the bride of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are the family of God. You're the called out ones. Each one of those has a little something to contribute to your identity about your mission, about what's been done for you, all that stuff. And this year we're having a sermon, one a month, about building up our understanding of who we are as the people of God so that we'll have less difficulty doing what we should do if we know who we are. And today, I'm saying to you, you are God's beloved. He says that over and over. You are my beloved. You are God's beloved. And I think I could say that, drop the mic and walk away, but you'd be like, well, what's so big about that? You don't seem all that impressed by that particular descriptor of yourself. And I get it. It's kind of anticlimactic sounding, right? It's a term of endearment that we don't use. Beloved. We don't look at our wives, you are my beloved. We don't say that. Song of Solomon says that, but we don't say that to each other. It sounds like a Shakespeare word. You know how people can come along and say a wonderful love line from Shakespeare, and some people will go, oh, and I'll just go, what he say? I don't understand what that means. What are you talking this way for? So here are some examples. Jude chapter 1. The only chapter. Verse 1, Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus, and I want you to notice this carefully, the connection, uh, and brother of James, to those who are called. God called you before you ever answered. He called beloved in God the Father. I want you to notice the connection. You were called, and you are the beloved in God the Father. Next line, next screen. Put on, Colossians chapter 3, as God's chosen ones. God chose you before you ever chose him. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You are beloved of God. Here's the third one. 
in 2 Thessalonians. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and beloved by the Lord. You are brothers beloved by God because God chose you. You put these together and you've got an understanding. You are God's beloved. Now what does that tell you, right? Again, you're not all that amazed by this description of yourself. God wanted you. And then when you responded to him, you become his beloved. Now, the part of the problem, too, is this is a passive word. Beloved doesn't tell you anything. Alfreda Davis is beloved of God. you believe that? I believe that. She's beloved of God. So is every Christian in here. You're beloved of God. But that's a passive word. It doesn't say anything about the kind of person you are. All it says is this. You're loved by somebody. That's all that it says. And when God says you're the beloved of God, the only qualification you have to be a child of God is to know that God loves you and respond back to him. That's all it takes. You know what the church is? The church's greatest descriptor is this. We are the people God chose and loved. That's who we are. That's not enough for most of us because we want a better description. We want to talk about our, uh, the jobs that we do and the kind of response we need to make. But this is a magical word. All that you know about the church is these are people that God loves dearly. But that's not enough either to impress us, is it? Can you think of a Bible character that God actually speaks to and calls his beloved? Can you think of a time when God actually dispensed with the middleman of the prophet or even the apostle and simply goes straight to a person and wants to, wants to absolutely build them up and the highest thing he can say to them is, you are my beloved. Can you think of a time like this? Let me give you a clue. Let me give you a clue. Here's number one. Can you remember the occasion? Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What was the occasion? The baptism of Jesus. When his son was immersed, chose publicly to let people know he was serving God, he comes up out of the water and God says, that's my beloved son. I'm pleased with him. Okay, that's one time. Here's another occasion. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What was the occasion? Transfiguration. Top of the mountain with Moses and Elijah. Two times that God decides, I'm going to say out loud for everyone to hear, and when he wants to pick a description, his description, his favorite description, the one he says with his own mouth is, you are my beloved, and that is the same love he loves you with. The same way he feels about Jesus is what he feels about those who are in his church. That should say something to us. Now, God loves everybody. We know it. God so loved the world, he gave his only beloved son, right? He gave his son up to to die for everybody. But here's the deal. While he loves everyone, not everyone responds and chooses relationship with him. 
He loves everyone, but not everyone is his beloved. I want you to listen to that carefully. He loves everyone, but not everyone is his beloved. Just because God created doesn't make you his beloved. God created, but he needs to also be your savior. He needs to be the one who rescued you, and you have to agree to that. You have to accept his love for you, and you have to respond to it. And when you do, you just turn around and you receive it, and you know God loves me, and that's all I know, and I'm going to respond to that love. You become his beloved. It was the same way in the Old Testament. Moses comes along in Deuteronomy and says, Do you think, do you think the reason God chose you is because you're better looking than any nation on earth? Nope. Do you think God chose you because you, you have better behavior? Talking to Israel, nope. Do you believe God loves you because you're the biggest nation he could choose? Nope. Do you know why God chose you? Because he loved you. And he rescued you. Only after he rescued you did he present the Ten Commandments and say, I want you to obey these Ten Commandments, not to earn my love. I've already rescued you. I've already redeemed you in Exodus chapter 19, but I'm giving you these Ten Commandments and inviting you. This is what I want from you to be in relationship. You choose this. I'll let you go right now, and I'll let you be on your own and live your own life any way you want to, but if you'll choose me after I've chosen you, you'll be my nation. You'll be my beloved, and the Israelites said, yes, we'll choose God. You know he does the same for us today. God gave up his son in history and he offers his son and that sacrifice to everybody. Did Jesus die to purchase the church and, and forgive you of your sin? Yes. Is that all he died for? He died and offered the benefits of that to every human being who ever lived. But only those who accept the relationship are actually saved, are in the beloved. And that's you coming here this morning, going to the trouble of getting here. What drove you here, ultimately, what's supposed to drive us here is that we are loved by God and we want to love him in return. And this is what he asks of us. And that's what we do. So God is creator of all, but only the savior of those in the kingdom. And so those who choose Jesus, who are immersed into Christ and become in Christ are, here's how Ephesians describes them. We have all spiritual blessings in Christ to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has given us freely in the beloved. It's by being in Christ we have this. And so the way God loves Jesus is the way he loves those who are in Jesus. That is the truth. And what does he ask of us? In these letters when he talks about you are the beloved, he's talking to the whole church. God asks us to be part of a community of the beloved and he wants the beloved to gather call us if you want to the bundle of the beloved God wants us to get together like this publicly visibly and celebrate the fact that we are a loved people now why does he want to do that why does he call us to the trouble of coming here as God's beloved people meeting together he kind of gives us the explanation for that several times in scripture but first of all it's to sustain our identity as people who are loved by God our primary identity is not as priests of the world or 
as holy people. Our primary identity are the people that God loves. This is what qualifies you to be a member of the Lord's church. You know God loves you and you let him do so. It's not your brilliance and not the, all the works that you get to do and pile up and talk about how great uh, the, that the church is being and how loving the church is. It's to be marveling at the way God loves us. And we can never forget this because we are prone to. Again, in Deuteronomy, Moses says, you're going to get into that promised land, and here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to get in that promised land and enjoy the crops of that land and enjoy the cities that you build and that you take over. I don't want you to get into that land and think, we did this ourselves. We are so good. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to forget this. I love you first. I don't want you to lose sight of that. Because if you do... Your spiritual life stops. You'll become suddenly spoiled, entitled, and demanding rather than grateful. It's the one thing you cannot forget. Every New Testament letters about this. Don't you forget your love by God. When you gather, every time in the Lord, I don't care how long and boring and drawn out the sermon might be, and you never remember what a sermon is about, and so how important can it be? The most important thing is, no matter what we're doing in the service, we're going to gather around a table, and we're going to remember God loved us first. And that's what gives us our identity. And anything that we do in our lives is just a response, an awareness of that. Why do we assemble? To remember our confession, according to Hebrews chapter 10, a confession that Jesus is Lord and he loved us first. Why do we sing Jesus loves me every single Sunday? Because no matter what else we talk about, that's the most important truth. Why do we come together so I can look in your eye? And, and by the way, I don't even have to say this, but us getting together publicly like this, we're reminding each other, you are beloved of God. I am beloved of God. And we're going to forget this in our isolated individual lives. We're going to forget this sometimes because we stumble and we fall and we sin and we struggle and we sometimes just fail and we flop and if we're isolated on our own, we're going to forget this. But when you come together and you look into Mike and Mitzi Manning's eyes, you're reminded the reason I'm here and the reason you are here is because we are radically, crazily loved by God who adores us. And it's a reminder we all need. You are loved by God. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this. Add to your faith all these things. You may know that list. Brotherly kindness, love, compassion. If these qualities are yours, you keep growing. They're increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things, whoever is not growing in their faith, whoever is not practicing and increasing their faith, has been blinded, nearsighted that he's blind. He's forgotten he was cleansed from his former sins. He's forgotten God loved him first. He's forgotten what God has already done in love for them. If you forget that the one qualification for being a faithful child of God is to remember that God loves you, you forget that, church attendance will be burdensome and you'll fight to get yourself here and you'll have more Sundays where you don't come than you do. 
If you forget this love for God, you're going to forget why shouldn't I cuss like a sailor like everybody else? And why shouldn't I watch every... And why are you telling me that there's certain things I shouldn't do and certain things I should do and there shouldn't certain obligations I don't even want to mess with? What, what, I'll forget all that stuff and all of a sudden the things that I need to do for God become way too much and too burdensome and I can't find the energy to do it because I've forgotten, I've forgotten how radically, crazily He loves me. So let's get together. And remind each other of this. But we also come together as the beloved because we're trying to imitate the way God loves us. He, he asks us to come together and he says, I want you to practice loving like me and I want you to practice on each other. I want you to come together as the church and I want you to set you free. I'm in your midst. You are a child of God. I moved into your life as a God of love and I've given you an abundant supply of my love in you. Now I want you to use it on each other. I want the church to become like me by loving each other like me. This is the greatest experimental area in the world for us to love each other. And here's the verses where he says that. Listen to Ephesians 5. Therefore, after he spent all this time talking about how much God loves them and what he's done for them, you be imitators of God as beloved children. If you are his children, you will imitate him. That DNA he puts in you will flow out of you, and you will love each other just like each has been loved. Here's another way he says that in 1 John 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So we get together like this to grow our faith by loving each other. And every time you do an act of love for somebody here, you're acting like God and you're becoming like God and so are they. I know who you are. You're the beloved of God and I'm the beloved of God, which makes us a beloved of each other. And we start acting like that. And suddenly I can... I can actually shake the hand of and look with love and affection upon a fellow believer who happens to for somehow, some way be a Democrat. And while it may stop me from crossing the aisle politically, it will never stop me from crossing the aisle spiritually. Because our differentness is overwhelmed by our belovedness. And we are aware of it. And I know if God loves you, how can I not love you? It just doesn't make sense. And you might be a little upper class and stuffy. Or you might be a working class person. You might go to West Side instead of Brooklyn. You might, go, you might be a cow person. Cow person. Cowboy person. You might be that country person. You might be that uppity person. It doesn't really matter, does it? Because we are all the beloved of God person. And that's how we love each other because our differences kind of dissolve and that's what it's supposed to happen. I can pray with you and for you. I can sing with you and to you. I can encourage you and shake hands and I can worship with you all over that. And we love at great cost to ourselves. Listen, there's all sorts of opportunities we have to love each other in different ways. There's been things going on at Valley View you don't even know, but people who have not been well, and there's two or three people in particular who kind of organize the meals going to their house so that they can spend a couple of weeks not having to mess with meal preparation, and that is a loving thing. And as you do that, 
the burden of adding to your day a meal prep that you then have to take to somebody else's house. And I know that's, that's, that's costly and time and money and effort, but the, that is how you grow faith, and that's how you become like God. The receiver becomes like God, and having received it, the giver becomes like God because they're so like God in doing it. And there are other people who don't make big sacrifices, like write the checks for $10,000, but they write little checks for like 55 cents. Do you know what 55 cents is? It's a stamp. We just went through a month in February where we were sending out cards. I got a bunch of those, and they felt really good. It was just really a blessing. I saved every one of them, but here's a couple of them. And what I know is that somebody took the time to, to write it and then send it, and it, it just it was a building up thing. And you can say, well, it's because you told us to do it. And I know you could do that if you want to. I don't care why you sent it. Here's one. Just wanted to say, and this one wasn't signed, which is weird, but anyway. Just wanted to say thank you for being an awesome preacher. There's a good judge of character, whoever this is. Keep preaching scriptures in Christian love. Doesn't sign it. Also, I was going to enclose a $100 bill as a thank you, but I already sealed the envelope. How did that happen? (laughs) If that's true, how did you put the card? Do you know the struggle with that? Snowman saluting an American flag, and it says Merry Christmas. I didn't make the February deadline for sending the cards, so I thought I'd get a jump on Christmas. Merry Christmas. Wishing peace in your heart, happiness in your home this Christmas. Thanks for all you do. Makes a difference. Karen Pearson. I think that's just a leftover card. She just is so. But here's what this affirms. Listen very carefully. You will become like who you marry. So choose wisely, y'all. Bless her heart, let's pray. No, it's... And this, this month, it's going through the directory and praying for each person. And you, there's a lot of people you don't know that are members here. That's not a barrier to you praying for them. Now, you may not have a real good idea of what maybe specifically they need to be prayed for, but there's some universals we all need prayer for, and then there's some specifics you know. And, and then we say, you know, text people. You know, text one or two of them after you pray for them. Let them know that you prayed for them. And by the way, I think that's valuable, but listen, here's the deal. Whether I ever know that you prayed for me or not, your prayer matters. That prayer impacts our lives whether you ever know we did but then but then when a a text comes into you that lets you know they thought of you when they went to the presence of the father that does something else too that does another double thing right so alan bigham's been doing this and the thing is he gets up early in the morning so he's been sending texts he just didn't realize that he did automatically he started sending prayer texts to people at 5 30 in the morning I'm telling you, don't do that, okay? Find another time maybe or delayed. But listen, if you do, I'm not going to be mad at you. If you want to pray for me at 5.30 in the morning, 3 in the morning, if it's 2 in the morning, don't tell me. Just just do it, okay? And maybe later let me know. But you're doing it. People are doing this. You are being prayed for by your fellow believers at Valley whether you know them well or not. Does that like do something for you? That is called a loving thing. That's what we do for each other. I think 
I think Gary Buck is one of the strangest people I've ever met. Is there an amen anywhere? I was in Bible class one time, and he made a reference to a country song that had nothing to do with anything. And I was like, what do I say about this? And then after class, he insisted on playing it for me on his phone. Crazy. This past week, we're having a busy Tuesday, and he calls me or texts me early in the day. He says, I'm bringing two KFC meals to your house so you and your wife don't have to cook tonight. That's a loving thing. And it's str- you might think, well, that's, he's a little strange sometimes. Maybe so. I've met the rest of you, and we are all like that. I promise you. We are all like that. And this is a church Gary Buck fits perfectly in. And I am thankful he's here and that he's leading that missions committee group. He is sincere about that and absolutely passionate about that. And I love that guy, and I appreciate what he did for me. And he became more like Jesus, and I became more like Jesus because of the love he showed. We're doing this. This is just me. I'm only the point of reference. I know things like these things happen to you this week, too. And this is what we do, y'all. This is what we do. As the beloved of God, we love each other, and we express it this way. And every time you do, you become a little more Christ-like. And one last thing I'd say is that getting together in a bundle of the beloved is to demonstrate to the world what God wants for them. God wants to visibly show the world what he's longing to do. The world has weird ideas about what God's like, what God wants to do. They have all sorts of strange theories about how God wants to do this and that, and they don't like it. God wants to love and save the world. How does he do it? Well, we can lecture and we can judge and we can point fingers and we can constantly tell them they're wrong, or or we could love the world and we could love each other. This is what he tells us, John chapter 13. A new commandment I'm giving you, Jesus says. This is after he washed their feet. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You love one another. You're my beloved. Now I want you to treat each other like the beloved. And then here's why. By this, all people, not church people, not the ones inside the building, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And the world will be able to see with their eyes what I'm wanting from them and for them. They don't have to picture it. They don't have to imagine it because they imagine the wrong things. They need to see in us visibly, corporately, as a body. They need to see us loving like this so they can know what God wants to do for them. And they will never see it just in my private life. They'll not see it in Spencer Furby's life at 1411 Old Bridger. They will see it with all these lights at Valley View shining together, being a visible church on a hill, shining like an explosion, revealing to the world what God really wants for them. We are the beloved. You are the beloved. And that is breathtaking. We are the beloved that needs to get together to become like the one who loves us. God is transformatively contagious when we get together as a bunch of his beloved. And it makes us able to be just like him. And then he makes himself visible to the world through this bundle of the beloved 
Nothing models God better than a bundle of his beloved living and serving, worshiping, and loving the world. That's what it means to be the beloved of God. Let's be that. This morning, if you know, you know God loves you. Everybody knows that. But maybe you've not known that enough to turn around and love him back and become part of his beloved. And this morning, that opportunity is available to you. He's pursued you all your life, I promise. Look closely. He's pursued you all your life. And now, let him catch you. Let him love you. Let him choose you. Let him save you. And you become part of his beloved. And this morning, if you're ready for that, confess your sin. Stop your running. Turn around in repentance. Embrace your Father in the waters of baptism. And be part of the beloved that gathers here. We would love to see that happen this morning as we all stand and sing to encourage you.